Tyson Stelzer has been Travel Writers Radio wine expert for a number of years now, and we value his excellent palate and great communication skills so that our audience in Australia can better appreciate the fine wines we produce. But Tyson is probably one of the best-known commentators on French Champagne, visiting the regions of France each year to update his knowledge. We sought his opinion this week on the likely impact of the extremes of weather now being felt around the world on the wine vintages of 2023 and 2024. You might be surprised by his response as he explains the situation to Graham Kemlo. Tyson, uh, great to have you there. Um, I wanted to chat with you today about the impact of this uh, what it seems to be a global uh, weather extremes to various degree and uh, wet and hot and cold and unusual. Um, what's it going to do to our wine? Hello, Graham. It's always great to catch up. And it, don't we live in a crazy world? And it obviously we're so. seeing... One of the effects, I think, of the whole climate change is that we are seeing a greater exaggeration of the extremes. So as, as we're seeing in worldwide weather patterns, more storms, more drought, more heat waves, more frosts, that has an impact on obviously the quality of wine, but also on the volume of production that the producers are able to achieve. Mm. And so we look at this with um, obviously some apprehension in terms of the way in which the wine world is evolving and obviously some level of concern but at the same time the more I visit the great wine estates of the world and the more I speak with the most intuitive winemakers the more I realize that we have always lived in a changing world and they go back to the records not only of their parents and their grandparents but we've got records of viticultural practices and wines and climate in Europe going back even centuries and they say to me well the truth is the climate has always been changing and so for a winemaker or any producer of a natural product in the agricultural world to be successful we actually always need to be evolving and if we always make the wines the same way that we always did and follow recipes then maybe even in spite of the extremes of global warming, maybe we were always doing the wrong thing anyway. So oh. I, then, I then start to look at how the wines that we're producing today compare with the wines that were being made in the 70s and 80s before there was any significant influence of what we'd call the modern climate change, although that said the climate was changing in the 70s and the 80s sure. in its own ways. And I look at the great wines of the world and I think, goodness me, in spite of all of this concern, we are seeing the best wines in history being made today for all sorts of different reasons. And so the winemakers I'm speaking to in general are saying we're not too concerned about global warming. We're adapting and evolving. We're changing our practices in the vineyards and the wineries to suit and the things we can do to adjust to that. There's mm -hmm. concern if things continue to keep getting warmer at their current pace. Yeah. But you know, in the cool climate regions of the world, such as Champagne and Burgundy and some of the cooler parts of Australia, they're actually a little bit embarrassed to admit we're making much better wines today than we were in the 70s and 80s when it was actually a little bit too cool to get proper ripeness every year. Oh. And now we can get proper ripeness every single year. And so the whole recipe for blending of wines like Champagne is changing and the consistency of entry non-vintage champagne where they can actually get these grapes ripe every year has never been better so while there's reason for concern in some areas particularly the hot parts of the wine world in the cool places they are rejoicing and okay. i am rejoicing with them okay well i mean that sounds right i guess all they have to do is pick the time at which to 
uh, take the grapes off the vine so that it doesn't yes. overcook, yeah? Exactly. So there's a lot of it in vineyards. Harvest date is obviously the biggest one, but there are changes in trellising, changes in the number of vines they're planting per hectare, changes in the way that they're pruning, the amount of foliage they're leaving on the vines to protect the grapes. Um, they are even in some parts of Australia and Europe spraying sunscreen, which is effectively just a clay-based natural product onto the leaves to reduce the amount of um, photosynthesis that's occurring in brighter sunlight. Wow. All sorts of tricks that they're pulling and then in the winery they can do things like keep reserves in champagne that are more acidic to freshen the wines up they can block the malolactic fermentation to uphold more freshness of acidity they can release their wines at different times to emphasize the freshness in the wines when they hit the market so all sorts of clever tricks and the result of that is the most intuitive houses are using this to their advantage and creating wines that have a beautiful level of finesse and freshness and actually more consistent ripeness than they were able to achieve in the past. That's really that's really interesting because I imagine that maybe they'd have to shade, you know, artificially shade the grapes. But you're saying that the leaves do a pretty good job. That's right. So you can control the amount of direct sunlight on the fruit zone, which always sits underneath the, the foliage and the leaf zone in standard trellising by, um, for instance, plucking leaves off at the right time of the season, being careful such that if the vines are aligned north-south, then obviously the western side of the vines is going to receive afternoon sun and that's the hottest so they provide more shading on the western side and leave the eastern side a bit more exposed so little tricks like that just to increase consistency okay. and not overexpose the vines I, i'm going to switch tack on you a little bit but i yes. was up in the far north queensland at one stage mm. and mm. there was a guy up there growing coffee yes. and he was getting almost twice the the revenue per um bushel or whatever however you wow. measure the coffee yep. on the mm. basis that he was growing his coffee beans or the coffee bush in the shade yes. of another unrelated um uh, plant goodness and because it was shaded coffee <laughs> yes yes the revenue was like twice and uh, so might we end up with companion planting that you know other varieties of well i don't know nectarine trees or whatever uh, could mm. could play a role or mm. do you think that the way it's happening now it's working out alright? Wine is one of the most stark monocultures in the world and to see hectares upon hectares of grapevines with no other companion planting is something that winemakers have long been concerned about as not really encouraging a balanced ecosystem so even in regions like Champagne that have been notorious for this, we're now seeing a lot more planting of grasses in the mid rows of the vines to help with the vine competition and to increase the soil balance occasionally trees planted near vineyards as well to encourage bird life Mm. Uh, beehives and flowering plants nearby to encourage the insect life in the area so all sorts of things that can do that at the same time obviously there can be some disadvantages and in Australia if a vineyard is too close to eucalypts for example you can end up with eucalypt flavours in the wine so that's not something that winemakers are always looking for just the airborne oh. eucalypt oil that doesn't take much in um, on the surface of the no, grapes to true. change yeah. the character of the wine so there's all sorts of implications of that whether or not winemakers go so far as to produce shading from companion planting it's something that would be tricky because 
Vineyards are generally planted in large areas with lots of rows, of course, and attaining consistency with that for every row would be difficult to do. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they're not experimenting either. No, no. Fascinating. I love your, I love mm. your sunscreen uh, trick. That's, that's pretty good. Maybe the humans ought to try the clay on. Exactly. Now, <laughs> good stuff. Um, uh, as you, you mentioned that we have had a couple of fabulous vintages, uh, 21 and 22, was it? Um, when will we see the results of this, of this current uh, weather in, in our vine, in our wines, do you think? Is that another year or two away? We've been fortunate in recent years in Australia to have had quite a strong La Nina cycle and that means that the weather's a little cooler and more humidity and in our warmer regions particularly that produces more classic conditions and I did the new Pensfolds release tasting with Peter Gago last week and I've, I've long loved in my tastings in recent years the, the cool freshness of the 2021 harvest and more recently as they're coming through now the 2022. And I've always thought of this as being a particularly cold year by modern standards, but Peter showed me the Barossa Valley temperature records and said, well, in fact, 2021 is right on the long-term averages. So perhaps rather than thinking of it as a cold vintage, I should be thinking it more as, as a classic vintage that harks back to the styles of the 70s and the 80s and so we're seeing now the red ones coming through many of the whites are in the market but for me in 2021 and also 2022 similar conditions we haven't seen a vintage as consistently good as these two back to back Peter Gago said as far back even as 1990 and 1991 so that bodes well for all wine styles across southeastern Australia 2023 is a vintage that I'm impressed with as a consumer winemakers <laughs> perhaps less so partly because they had inclement conditions which produced lower yields so there wasn't so much volume in 2023 not so good for the economics of winemaking but actually not bad timing given that our exports are down but the wines in the bottle are beautiful and follow that classic line of cool acidity brightness fine tannins and long aging potential like 2021 and 2022 this year into 2024 coming to harvest next year we're likely to see a transition period where it's not strongly la nina or strongly el nino and hence another reasonably classic vintage with pretty good soil moisture reserves to uphold balance in the vines even though it will get drier obviously over the next 12 months and then 2025 could be back to uh, warmer drier seasons like we've seen over the last 10 years okay so tyson would you recommend um some some wine for our listeners to try that might that'll demonstrate the classic uh the, the classic vintage of 21 22 Absolutely. I've done three big tastings in the past week that have impressed me immensely. One, obviously, the Penfolds tastings of Peter Gago that I mentioned, and Cabernet and Grenache and Chardonnay were the stars of those tastings. I've also tasted all the new coming wines from Torbrek in the Barossa Valley, where they're producing Rhone varieties with beautiful balance, and there's not been a better set of wines from that winery in history, so I recommend those heavily. And the other tasting I've done in the past week is by winemaker Kim Toysner in the Barossa again. His Utipus brand is a single vineyard on the cusp between Manga and Greenock. And again, his 2021 vintage really showcases the brightness that can be achieved even in full ripeness in the Barossa in the right season. Fantastic. Now, I know you're uh, interested in, in uh, how the champagne uh, classes of wine are going. And you've yes. got your event coming up uh, 
uh, along the east coast. Tell us about Taste, uh, your Taste Champagne event. Absolutely. So this is an event we've been doing now for a decade and it is now the biggest global champagne showcase in multiple countries. And we're back in Melbourne, one of the biggest events, well the biggest event I do in Australia each year in fact. And our event this year is on Tuesday the 15th of August. We have almost 300 cuvées in the room from 70 champagne growers, houses, cooperatives and an opportunity for the trade and media to join us in the afternoon and we still have a limited number of public tickets on sale for our tasting on that Tuesday evening at the Plaza Ballroom in the middle of Melbourne. Thank awesome. you, Tyson. Thank you, Graham. See you, you have a good day. Tyson Stelzer was speaking with Graham Kemlo. And if you're interested in Tyson's upcoming Taste Champagne events in Melbourne next month, go to tysonstelzer.com. This is the Travel Writer Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne.